Welcome to Denver Sports Tonight. Taking a look at the biggest stories in Denver sports. From your online home for the best opinions and information on the Broncos, Nuggets, Avalanche, Rockies, and more. DenverSports.com. And it is Denver Sports Tonight on this Friday night in the Mile High City. East Jake Shapiro. I'm Will Peterson. We'll take you into your weekend over the next hour. Broncos and Niners game two of the preseason is 24 and a half hours away from kickoff. Probably our most telling game of the preseason coming up. Wouldn't expect to see the starters next weekend against the Rams. They've got joint practices the next week against Los Angeles down at the Centura Health Training Center. Jake, it always used to be when there was four preseason games that the third one was the big audition. It definitely feels like this one is going to be the big audition. Starters playing 20 to 24 plays. To me, that translates. We're going to see Russell Wilson, Jerry Judy, and Corlin Sutton the whole first half. It wouldn't surprise me, actually, if the third preseason game this year featured some of the starters for quite a bit of time. And I say that because that game's the 26th. Their season doesn't start till the 10th. So that's quite a bit of time between games there to recover. It's two weeks plus a day. But, yeah, I agree with you. This is going to be the game where we will probably learn the most outside of, in my opinion, joint practices heading into next week's preseason game against the Rams. Yeah, and that's why I disagree with you, just because all these coaches have now said the the joint practices are more valuable than the game. We've seen a lot of teams have joint practices, like the Browns and the Eagles had joint practices all week. Last night, no Jalen Hurts, no Deshaun Watson. I think if those joint practices go well and Russ throws a couple of touchdowns, he won't play against the Rams, but... Like, to your point, Sean Payton's proven to be unconventional, so maybe he wants two joint practices, and then he'll throw him out there against Los Angeles. We shall see, but we do know that he'll play probably about a half tomorrow night. Do you know what happened with those joint practices with the Jets this week? Did you see that story? Uh, That was Aaron Rodgers throwing a hissy fit or something. So the Buccaneers were in New York for two days of joint practices with the Jets. Okay. Day one, hissy fit, some fighting. Day two, the Bucs show up, and they were not allowed there. And they all of a sudden had to have a joint practice unscheduled with the New York Giants. Really? I they just, got This flew under my radar. Yeah, they got kicked out of the second day of joint practices with the Jets. Was that like an Aaron Rodgers executive decision? I'm not sure what happened here. I mean, it was one of the bigger stories in the NFL that also flew under my uh, radar this week. Um, but... This was the quote from Robert Sala. I feel for one, from a safety measure standpoint, I never like two practices because the second practice is usually when the injuries happen, referring to joint practices. So, yeah, the the Giants and Buccaneers had a random joint practice this week. And, uh, yeah, they're scheduled for two joint practices next week with the Rams, right? Correct. Yeah, so I, I wonder if we can notice a trend and see if that second practice ends up being a little bit more heated. And we've had some good joint practices over the years. Like the famous one is when the Niners came in and just beat the snot out of the Broncos the first day. And the second day, do you remember who started the fight to get the Broncos going? I don't. It was your boy, Philip Lindsay, oh. out there, all five, seven of him, you know, throwing haymakers, trying to fire his team up. I I find it interesting that Sala brought up the injuries because I hadn't heard that one before. I have heard the by day two it gets too chippy, and that's why the coaches don't want to do the second day. So, I mean, didn't we see Aaron Donald chuck his helmet last year at one of the Cincinnati yeah. players? We are going to have to watch certain guys. I'm actually bummed the fans can't be out there like they were for the Cowboys last year, but we'll have to watch, you know, come day two. Is there a, is there a little melee between the Broncos and the Rams? And Sala taking after his offensive coordinator, the injury worries, so we don't want to do anything type preseason stuff. But, yeah, what, what I find interesting, at least with 
you know, everything relating to the Jets here in Denver, we've got a little bit of a microscope on right now compared to other NFL locations. Obviously, we're always eyeing things going on in Las Vegas, Kansas City, and Los Angeles. But I think that fourth team we're eyeing right now is the New York Jets. So that's why it caught my interest this week. And if teams are, well, in the Buccaneers' case, feuding with the Jets in a practice and the Broncos and Jets are feuding a little bit through the media the last Mm -hmm. few weeks, I do find it interesting that this popped up in one of their practices. So it does show that there is some abrasiveness with this Jets team and it's not just all talk in the media. I do think the Jets are a prime candidate to just be the Broncos of last year, right? All the hype, all the buzz, all the national games, and to just fall on their faces. I mean, first of all, Nathaniel Hackett's been there, done that, so it wouldn't shock anyone if he's part of another disastrous season. And second of all, Jake, anytime there's too much hype about a a, a dream team, everyone famously remembers the Eagles' dream team, which I'm going to guess the year was about 2010 with them being on the cover and Vince Young up in Philly, and it just blew up in their face. I, I just have a feeling that the Jets are not going to be very good. I mean, first of all, they're the Jets. When's the last time they won anything? And second of all, it just would be so fitting if if Rodgers sort of falls off this cliff that Wilson, some folks think, it's TBD, some folks think, fell off last year. Uh, We're not going to spend the whole 20 minutes to start the show on the Jets, but I do think it's funny that they have so many expectations. They scream 5-12 and to me. They just do. The New York Mets and the San Diego Padres won the offseason in baseball this year. Yeah, how's that working out? They both are going to miss the playoffs. The Cleveland Browns, how many off-seasons have they won the last few years in football? Plenty. They've been awful. The team that wins the off-season, I feel like you can always fade. This is one of my theories with the CU Buffs football team right now. It's like, I feel like I've seen this every year. The team that gets hyped going into the season, they never live up to those expectations or very rarely. So, you know, and who won the off-season in the NBA right now? It's the Los Angeles Lakers. Yep. So I, 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 some would say the Suns, but I don't think Bradley Beal really makes them any better. Some may say the Warriors. I don't think Chris Paul makes them any better. Right. So I, I always like to track which team is the one the off season team. Last year, by the way, it was the Broncos who won the off season. Right. Those teams always struggle for some reason. So I always keep my microscope on those. And as I look at the schedule, and obviously we're not going to do win loss win loss. But I look at that Jets game as a major opportunity between two road games for the Broncos to win. And so many people think the Jets are going to win the AFC East. And, you know, the the wins are important for the Broncos because I think they are going to be hard to come by this year. I think they're going to be easier than last year. But I do look at the opponents in which I say, hey, can the Broncos win that game? And I've been trying to keep track of those opponents to see how they've done, if they are doing better or worse in the preseason. And so far, the Jets preseason has been rather interesting. I don't know if it's been good or bad, but it's been interesting. Yeah, they got the hard knocks cameras around. They've got uh, Rodgers making news seemingly every single day. Every single move Rodgers makes is tracked. You got all them going to bat for Nathaniel Hackett, which... It's like, well, Sean Payton didn't really say anything wrong. We just live in a society now where if you voice your mind, you're going to tick people off even if you say the facts. And that's not any sort of political statement. That's just the culture we live in that if you say something factual, but it also can be perceived as controversial, people are going to get mad. Sean Payton said something factual. Nathaniel Hackett was one of the worst coaches in NFL history, but because it was controversial, felt a little personal, Everyone and their brother had to come to Hackett's defense when if we all take a step back, should Sean Payton have had two lattes and told Jared Bell that? No, (laughs) but he did. And ultimately, at the end of the day, he spoke the truth. And the truth in this instance was not received well by the New York Jets. I, I completely agree. And the thing with saying the truth 
as a coach is it's such a close community as Hackett was kind of referencing is even when you hear these broadcasters who are former coaches talk, a Stan or a Jeff Van Gundy, they rarely criticize coaches because they know how hard of a job it is, by the way. It is a really hard job where you are almost always at fault for things that you really shouldn't be at fault for. But, small circle, small fraternity. They kind of are all supposed to have each other's backs. Yeah, and, and if you're criticizing one of them, honestly, there's a high chance that in the future you're working for one of them as an assistant or you're trying to work for that guy or vice versa as an assistant. So, yeah, you're, you're always trying to have their backs. Uh, this was something brought up on Coffee Break today, and just because we're talking about this portion of the schedule, right after that Jets game I referenced there on the road, Thursday night, Kansas City. I look at that game and I say, that's the toughest game on the Broncos' schedule this season. I would agree. Today on Coffee Break, Richie Carney goes, I think they're going to win that game. I, I don't really have a doubt about it. It just feel he, he felt something in his intuition that the, the Broncos were going to win, which, by the way, we'll watch Coffee Break every day, 10.30 a.m. on Denver Sports Digital Platforms. Rachel kind of pushed back a little bit, but both of them agreed that between Kansas City, Buffalo, and Kansas City, you know, they're playing them all in a four-week stretch there. They're going to win one of those games. That is a tough task. Yeah, it's a really brutal part of the schedule. They're not winning in Buffalo on Monday night. I don't think the Bills having eight days to prepare going into Buffalo when there could be a foot of snow and people throwing each other through tables in the parking lot before the game is is any sort of a winnable environment. That's my upset pick of the Broncos season. Well, it's it's you know what? It's crazier than Richie's upset pick. Let's go. You know why I don't mind Richie's upset pick now for him to say he's confident and I think he's a little bold, but. I think those Thursday night games are fluky. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and so I think the element of, hey, you catch KC on a short week, maybe they're not taking the Broncos that seriously because they've beaten them 15 times in a row. Mahomes is 13-0 and against the Broncos in his career, and maybe you can go into Arrowhead and steal one, whereas Buffalo, I think Buffalo is going to be the most laser-focused team in the regular season because they have no room to get comfortable. People are wondering if Josh Allen can win the big game. They need to get home field again uh, because, well, first of all, they haven't had it. The Chiefs have always had it. But they did lose a home playoff game last year to prevent them from even going to the AFC title game. I think Buffalo's looking to go 14-3 and and make sure they're that one seed and that the path to the Super Bowl goes through Western New York and they will do everything in their power to beat and beat badly teams. And a Monday night football game for the Broncos and Buffalo... I don't think that point in the season is is any sort of winnable compared to a Thursday night narrowhead. Again, I'm not saying they're going to beat the Chiefs in narrowhead. I think Buffalo is a tougher task. So, so the reason why I like that game, it's really simple, actually. The week before the Buffalo Bills play that game at Cincinnati that got canceled last year that everybody was so excited to see. Mm-hmm. That's going to be a Sunday night game that's going to be one of the biggest games in the NFL regular season. Then they play the Broncos on Monday night at Highmark. And then they host the New York Jets, which is going to probably decide the AFC East. Unless the Jets go five and twelve, but right. I see what you're saying. That for now, so that on might, paper it should. That on paper could be a huge trap game. Yeah, and that's why I said, okay, I like this as a possibility for a Broncos upset. Meanwhile, for the Chiefs, the Broncos come in between the Vikings and the Chargers, and then the Chargers and the Dolphins. So both could be kind of trap games because the Vikings were awesome last year. The Chargers are going to probably contend for the AFC West with the Chiefs. And then the Dolphins, if Tua stays healthy, that's one of the better teams in the NFL potentially. Yeah, it's a big if because of all his concussions, but they're a trendy playoff pick for sure. It's it's funny because when we say trendy playoff pick, it's like, I've seen 12 teams in the AFC called trendy playoff picks. Obviously, it's a much superior conference, but it's 
it's, guys, it's a reminder that only seven can make right. it. So we can say, oh, the Dolphins are trendy, the Bills are trendy, the Jets are trendy, the Broncos are trendy, the Chiefs, the Chargers, the Steelers, the Ravens, the Bengals, the Jaguars. And next thing you know, you're at, you're at well more than two-thirds of the conference, and there will only be seven spots. There will be some left out of the dance. All right, fun conversation to start the show off there, but I do want to get to the news of the day, Jake, and that was, uh, I'm not going to call it weight loss gate, but we will talk about Sean Payton spilling the beans about how many pounds Russell Wilson has lost unsolicited. Here's Sean Payton with Kay Adams. He's he's in great shape. He's down like 15 pounds, Russell is. Yeah. And What does that mean to you? What, well, are, what, what do you want, I what think do I one of the know? things he does well is, you know, a lot of the off-schedule plays. You know, something breaks down, he can, he can escape and then keep a play alive. Uh, he does that extremely well. And obviously... The shape he's in now, I mean, if you're going to do that and run, he was always a threat to run, you know. And uh, so I think that we're kind of seeing that what we were used to. Um, these last two weeks has been have been really good for him. I mean, he's really been on point. Oh, man, we've we've since May people have been pestering Russ. How many pounds? How much have you lost? You look so much slimmer. I'm not telling you guys. I'm not telling you guys. And there goes Sean Payton to Kay Adams. And I'll give her credit. I said it on Stoke and Zach today. She's got a fun conversational style. But Sean goes over there, forgets there's cameras rolling, and does what he did with Jared Bell, says something he probably shouldn't have said, puts a number on how many pounds Russ has lost. 15 significant, Jake, especially on someone that's five foot ten. Yeah, that's, that's great and all. And he can do the off-schedule stuff and run around. Fine. I need to see Russell Wilson do stuff on schedule. That was the problem with the Broncos offense last year is Russell Wilson didn't do stuff like throwing a slant route over the middle, hitting guys within two to three seconds after his drop back. Like I need to see Russell Wilson do A and B before I see him do C, D, E, and F. It's awesome that he can scramble around and be this backyard style quarterback that we saw in Seattle. Mm -hmm. But we need him to do the basics, and that's what this Sean Payton offense is going to be about. Will that 15 pounds off his body probably help him? Yeah, he had a knee injury that cost him some gains last year. Having that weight off is probably going to help his knees. It's probably going to make him a little bit more elusive, but it's also going to make him probably a little bit harder or, or easier to like really, really hit. And last year, that's one of the things is when he got hit, it was hard to hit him. Yes, he got sacked more than anyone else in the NFL, and he wasn't as agile as before, but it wasn't like you were tackling a small little quarterback. You were tackling a bowling ball back there. Yeah, this, but he might be a little more slippery. He might be a little more slippery. There's less mass for defenders to target this and year. And that's the hope. That's the hope that he's more slippery, he's more evasive, he can get outside of the pocket. But the fact that he's going to need to get outside of the pocket so much because the Broncos' offensive line is going to not be good concerns me and again the fact that he has not shown an ability to stay on schedule in a Denver Broncos uniform that concerns me what do you make of Sean Payton revealing what Russ clearly didn't want revealed that's been a big talking point on the station today Twitter social media Broncos country hey Russ has made it clear he did not want people to know the number and there goes Sean once again Sean making headlines because Sean has found never found a microphone he doesn't like just tells Kay Adams the 15 pounds is that a big deal, betrayal of trust, or uh, did Sean just let one slip there? Who's the boss? Greg Penner. Well, between Sean and, and Russ. Uh, the, the hierarchy at Dove Valley, in my opinion, goes Greg Penner 1, Sean Payton 2, I'm going to say Russell Wilson 3, George Payton 4, but I would put Sean ahead of Russ. How many players in pro sports have an ability to fire their head coach? How many team stars? Quite a few. 
And well, LeBron, certainly. He's gotten more coaches counted than or fired than I can count on two hands. If Nikola Jokic wanted Michael Malone fired, he could get him fired. If Nathan McKinnon or Kale McCarr wanted Jared Bednar fired, and this is just not the culture of hockey, I think that would happen. Eh, Malone and Bednar both have rings in the last two years. I see what you're saying, but I think a better example would be if McKinnon wanted Bednar fired after they lost to Vegas in round sure. two, three, two years ago, then for sure. Sure. If Jokic wanted Malone fired after they lost to the Warriors in the first round, then for sure. I see what you're getting at. Stars can get their coaches fired in a lot of sports. So this is... Sean Payton's little war to have more power than Russell Wilson is what I see. Oh, you think it's that deep? You think he? You think he told Kay intentionally? I think everything is Sean Payton about being in control because I think he's a control freak. I think most NFL coaches are complete control freaks, and they want to be the source of information. I do not like a lot of the things Sean Payton has done, particularly in talking to the media and putting his foot in his mouth and being hypocritical of the rules that he has set in place and the standard he has set for his players because the only person consistently breaking the rules he has set in place is Sean Payton. So I don't like that because to me that shows a lack of discipline from the head coach who is asking that discipline of his players. So that's why I have not completely liked what Sean Payton has done in saying some of this. Give us the two examples because I know know the two you're going for. You're going for anonymous donors, then spouting off to Jarrett Bell, and then you're talking about the bucket hat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the bucket hat, and, and, and yeah, it's a, just a joke. In for those who don't, who don't really get it. So Sean Payton told everyone to not wear Gilligan hats, bucket hats on the sideline in the first preseason game, and then before this Kay Adams interview, he was in Kay Adams' social media wearing a bucket hat. Okay, well, you just told all your players not to, and I know it's not that deep. It's just a stupid little hat, but it just shows that the only person above the rules is you. Then you go back to the thing with being anonymous donors, which is something he said in the the, the first press conference of trying to stay out of the media and trying to stay off of social media. Initially, when he became Broncos head coach, he was still tweeting quite a bit. And then, you know, this whole Hackett Jets thing comes about where it's basically the biggest coaching headline we've heard coming out of preseason. There's been nothing out of, you know, Tampa Bay or Jacksonville that's been as as inflaming as that. So I, I don't agree with that in, in, in just setting that standard and breaking it when yourself has set that standard. And this goes back to stuff he's done in New Orleans of setting a standard and not necessarily following it. And over the course of his tenure, whether we go back to things like Bounty Gate or or some of the allegations around the Saints organization, he has shown a lack of discipline in some of the stuff that comes to organizational power. But he's always shown a wantingness to have more power. And to me, this is just Sean Payton being the head coach of the Denver Broncos. This is the latest thing. And this is who he is. I'm not saying it's good or bad. I'm just pointing out exactly what's happened in Sean Payton's career. Yeah, no, you're, you're making a lot of sense, and this is now example number three, sort of, you know, Sean wants one thing and then does another, and I get it. You know, he's just having a casual, fun conversation with with Kay Adams, but Russ didn't want this number out there, and uh, it got out there, and here's what happened about 10 minutes later. I heard about it. I want to talk, I mean, a little bit about this 15 pounds I keep hearing about. Coach brought it up. Why did you slim down? That's a lot of weight. Well, I'm just trying to uh, be as lean as possible, quick as possible. Trying to, uh, you know, stay in my younger days Are as long as, run? as possible. Yeah, you know, so I, I, I feel great. You know, I've, uh, you know, I've, I've done a, a whole change on kind of my my uh, timing of when I eat and all that kind of stuff. So, been doing a lot of intermittent fasting and stuff like that. <laughs> Coach brought it up. That's what Kay has to tell Russ because there is video out there, and Russ is always a cool customer. But you can see a little bit on his face, like. How'd you know that one, Kay? Oh, because Sean sat in the same seat you were sitting in 10 minutes ago, 
and told me a uh, pretty good answer from Russ. He's trying to be more lean. I like the intermittent fasting. Listen, we've all tried diets in our life. At least most of us have. They're tough. Good for Russ. I heard DMAC talking about it. You can work out all you want, but a lot of weight loss is ultimately diet at the end of the day. And we didn't have it in that cut, but Russ went on to talk about how he really likes mac and cheese. And when he goes out, he wants mac and cheese, and he's been good about not eating the mac and cheese. And I can see you rolling your eyes over there, Jake, but if we're going to ask this guy for human moments, that is a human moment. Him saying, I go to dinner, I see mac and cheese on the menu, and I tell myself no because I'm on this diet. If I'm going to criticize the dude for two days ago, uh, the laundry list of every name on his offense when asked about why he's better now than he was two weeks ago, I am going to give him credit for being honest because we all have those struggles in our lives where, you know what, I would be 10 pounds lighter if I didn't eat the mac and cheese or whatever your guilty pleasure is. Yeah, I actually appreciate the humanity, and I'm rolling my eyes because I'm embarrassed for us the fact that his guilty pleasure is mac and cheese. Oh, dude, mac and cheese is fire. You don't like mac and cheese? Well, one, I'm lactose intolerant. Oh, so okay, that's no. a good excuse. Um, two, when I when before that, I, I just don't think it's a meal. It's like a good little side. You know, like you have a steak, you have some mac and cheese on the side. I, I also am speaking from a privileged standpoint of I've never had a struggle with my weight. I just... I'm lucky enough to be kind of a slimmer person. So uh, I, I don't know how that is. But, again, this goes back to the discipline thing I was talking about. You're so young. Don't speak too soon. I know, but that's what I said right you. now. Right okay. now. I'm not trying to jinx you. In my life experience, this no. has not been my struggle. Um, I respect Russ having the discipline to follow through on something he set out to do at the start of the offseason and him following through and actually doing it, particularly when he's a guy who could go over to France and have some of the nicest meals and have as much wine and cheese as mac and cheese maybe as he wants, right? We've seen him travel while being part of the Broncos all around the world, probably having food that we wish we could have. So for him to have the discipline to just sit there and, all right, I'm going to have some saltines instead of a, a mac and cheese, I respect that. I, I actually really appreciate some of the things Russ has done off the field in preparation for this season because it shows me he's committed to being a Denver Bronco. But if you ask me if he still has it, if he's still that guy he was in 2019, 2020, I have major doubts. And it's not because I don't think Russ is committed. I just think that his prime may have passed him by at this point. Yeah, a little the old uh, father time thing, right? Well, yeah. it was very interesting. I will give credit where it's due. Kay Adams got more out of Sean Payton and Russell Wilson than uh, we have in four months outside of Jared Bell, I guess, and a couple of lattes from Sean Payton. But um, she got them both over there. She got them both talking, and we learned some new information today. Kudos to Russell Wilson. I want to close this segment by pointing out weight loss is not a bad thing. It shows his commitment. I just think the story is that Sean had to bring up the number when Russ made it clear he didn't want to bring up the number. We're getting a lot of them to text like, how can you be negative about losing weight? Not negative about losing the weight. I'm negative about, once again, the head coach is making headlines for reasons that probably were not supposed to happen. It's setting a standard for your employees and not following that standard yourself. If your boss said, hey, nobody's taking Friday off the rest of the year, Fridays are really important, and then he takes the first Friday off, how are you going to feel about that? So. And, yeah, the bodies in the NFL, they turn over quick, so maybe the feelings don't matter as much as they do in a regular workplace, and I get that it's a weird workplace. But I'm just telling you, if your boss is doing all the things he told you you can't do, you're going to feel pretty bad. Coming up on the other side, it is Broncos preseason game number two. 24 hours from now, what are the keys? We'll take a dive into them. It's Denver Sports Tonight on Denver Sports Station, 104.3 The Fan.
Oh, so much fun reaction. On the Ramoslaw.com text line 303-713-1043. I promise I read every single one of them. They came in fast and furious during the end of that segment. 5562. You guys talk about Russ like he's Zion. No, come on. Give us a break. No one's saying he got Zion, but he, he was the heaviest he had been in his career last year. There's no question about that. Um, Tyler says, I've never played organized team sports before. That would be wrong. Um, By the way, adult or- men don't need to diet. I'm 38. I've never dieted. Well, you probably take care of yourself really well. Good for you. The the adult sports or the organized sports you play in high school or even maybe even lower level colleges is completely different than the professional sports that is the NFL. Yeah, Tyler, I didn't play for the Broncos. You have that correctly, but I did play high-level basketball, and my coach was a teacher at the school. He could not act like Sean Payton acts. Sean Sean Payton makes $18 million a year. There's a difference. I've gotten a coach fired before. Uh, Okay. I won't go any further on that, but interesting. High school. My dad told me and my siblings not to smoke, but he smoked a pack a day. It's not a big deal. Sean is in charge, just as I knew my dad was in charge. That's from the 8316. I see what you're saying there, that he doesn't want his bad habits to wear off on you. And we've also gotten a lot, and I'm not going to read them all, but we've gotten a lot of, hey, guys, this is strategic by Sean. He's putting all the pressure on him to take it off the players. He's the one putting his foot in his mouth. If this goes wrong, Sean will take the bullets, not Russ. I sort of see that idea in principle. I don't see that idea in practicality. If this season doesn't go well, just like last year, Russell Wilson will be the most polarized and blamed person in the NFL. Polarized? If it doesn't go well, I don't know who's going to be on his side. Yeah, because he will be the fall man. Obviously, we're not going to go through the contract, but if it doesn't go well, this is his last season with the Broncos. They will take a massive cap hit, and he'll be lucky to land a backup job somewhere else. If it doesn't go well, he will have never played a game on his contract extension. Yeah, you're right, because that did not kick in until after this season. George Payton handing out a quarter of a billion dollars before Russell Wilson played it down. We're hoping this is all moot, guys. We're hoping it's a better year for the Broncos' return to the playoffs for the first time since Super Bowl 50. But like I said, I genuinely appreciate the interaction. Sorry I couldn't respond to all of them, but 303-713-1043 if you want to get in on the RamosLaw.com text line for the next half hour or so while we're still here. All right, Jake, tomorrow night, preseason game two. You and I have a little different views of how much the starters may play against the Rams. I don't want to rehash that conversation. Let's focus on the Niners And I'm just going to make it simple. Last week, I was a big first-team offense needs to get a touchdown guy, and they did. Took him four series. Sean (laughs) had to send him out there for a fourth. It took him fourth down, but Russ found Jerry Judy for the end zone. You say what for tomorrow night in San Fran? A touchdown still the bar? Higher, lower? What does this first-team offense need to do? Well, the first-team offense, if they don't score a touchdown, I'm going to be full-on panic mode with the Broncos. Especially playing as much as they're projected to play. Yeah, if they play a whole half and don't score a touchdown. And I understand the Niners are one of the better teams in the NFL. They were basically a competent quarterback away from being in the Super Bowl and maybe Phillip Rivers. Uh, if you saw that story, that was pretty fun. Yeah. But it, well, they had competent quarterbacks. I, I think you... You should probably say a healthy quarterback away. Uh, well, yes. Yeah, that's what I mean. A competent, healthy quarterback right. in that position because they had several competent quarterbacks, yes. actually. None of them were healthy by the time the second half rolled around in Philly in the NFC title game. Correct. Uh, and, and what I will be interested to see, by the way, is the Broncos' offensive line against Armstead, Bosa, 
Hargrave, Jackson. This is a good defensive line. How are they going to shape up? Fred Warner's in that in that front seven. You know they've they've got some good corners and Chadarius Ward. Uh, they've got a good defense. Will and this is one of the better defenses in football. And you know we're talking about the Broncos' offense is probably going to play the whole first half. The 49ers' defense is likely going to play the full first half. And by the way, the Cardinals are supposed to be one of the worst teams in the NFL this year. The Broncos' first team scored that touchdown against that terrible team's second-team defense. So not only do I want to see the Broncos' first-team offense score a touchdown, I want to see them score a touchdown against this off or, or this first-team defense. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, listen, Kyle Shanahan, John Lynch— they are building a Super Bowl contender year in and year out. And if the starters do play and the, the guys you rattled off, if you know, I, I don't think we'll see all four of them, but even if half of them are out there tomorrow night, then the offensive line's in for a big test because the left side with Garrett Bowles and Penn Powers against the Cardinals was simply not good enough. It's funny, the best offensive lineman, Jake, talking to guys around the station, particularly guys who played O-line, was Lloyd Cushenberry. And yeah. that was the guy people were trying to cut all season or find a new center. And it's like, maybe be careful what you wish for on that one because, yeah, I understand McGlinchey wasn't out there, but you paid a lot of money for Powers. Bowles came back. Miners in his belly gets a lot of attention. And yet Lloyd, the one everyone said, ah, we need an upgrade. Well, you didn't need an upgrade. He was the only one who looked like uh, he held his own in that game. And that's what's really concerning is the guy that people were criticizing last year is now the guy that we're most competent or most confident in being competent. So, yeah, I, I do n- not have a lot of confidence in this offensive line. And I just look up at, at this matchup and say, this is probably going to be one of the toughest defenses the Broncos face all year, including in the regular season. And I think it's honestly a good test as to what they can do. We said this last week going into the first week of preseason football. Last year, the Broncos struggled after the script ran out, after 15 to 20 plays. Their offense was generally pretty good. In this week one, their script ran out, it seemed, and then they started opening up the playbook a little bit, and then they had that drive. Again, yeah, it was against the second-team Cardinals defense, but I I did like what I saw out out of that one drive from the Broncos. And if you break down every play Russ had, a lot of it came down to the offensive line's failings when Russ failed. So to me, I am looking firmly in the trenches at this first half and saying, can the offensive line hold their own against the 49ers front seven? Yeah, and we should point out, and I, and I thought this, but I did look it up to confirm that Nick Bosa is still in a holdout. He's still mm. in a contract situation, so we won't, call. we won't see Bosa. But those other guys, I mean, you know, coaches are, are somewhat coy. We'll, we'll see how many uh, snaps their starters get. Let's talk a little bit about the touchdown thing, though, because you said definitely one touchdown in the first half. I'm going to do you one better. I told Stoke and Zach this on Wednesday at camp. Two touchdowns. I want two. Because, listen, if you were going to play an entire half of football, you should score one in the first quarter and one in the second quarter. The kicking game was a disaster last week. One of four on field goals. Elliot Fry has since been cut. Brett Maher missed two more kicks at camp this week. He did make a couple, including a long one in a do-or-die drill at the very end of practice. But I'm not looking to settle for field goals, Jake, because Brandon McManus isn't trotting off that sideline anytime any longer. I don't believe Maher will be the kicker. We might get a little bit of time to talk about that later in the show. But I'm just telling you, man, I want to see the number be 14 or 17. That's what would make me feel good tomorrow night at half. Broncos are up 17-7. Russ threw one to Court, one to Jerry, maybe one to Greg Dulcich. Just give me two Russell Wilson touchdowns. Javante's going to play three to four snaps. Samaje, 
whatever. The running game, I think, is going to be fine. It's the passing game. If Russ can put his head on the pillow tomorrow night, throw on two touchdown passes in the first half, I'll feel good. Some people may say that's too high of expectations, but I'm done with the kid gloves. Russ is making a quarter billion. Sean Payton's making $18 million. The regular season's going to be here before you know it. We're less than a month away. We're something like 22 days away. Two touchdowns tomorrow night, especially if it's their last preseason action. Russ is paid to be just as good as Patrick Mahomes, and Sean Payton is paid to be just as good as Andy Reid. I don't know why we have kid gloves on, Will. In, in talking about Russ last week, uh, you know, I got a lot of criticism on social media for expecting more out of Russ. He ended up being fine in that last drive, but he is paid to be an elite quarterback. If he is not an elite quarterback, if he is simply okay or decent or sometimes even good, that is taking away from the Broncos because of the amount of salary he is making. They have built this team for Russell Wilson to be great. They need Russell Wilson to be great. And, yeah, this week I will be watching Javante Williams. Obviously, that's probably the best story of Broncos camp is that Javante is going to be out there. Remarkable recovery. Unbelievable. And and I do not have that high of expectations for him just because I feel like that is a situation that does require kid gloves because he deserves a lot of uh, time to get back completely right, whatever that might be. I wouldn't mind seeing them stall a couple times between the 20 and the 30 to see Brett Maher out there to see if he can kick, hit some kicks in a game situation because of that's when Brett Maher has struggled his game situations that playoff game that yeah, last but, he, but he struggled game. with extra points so I would be fine with scoring two touchdowns and watching him kick two extra points <laughs> that that's probably not wrong uh yeah four against the Bucks in the playoffs last Robbie year. Gold and Mason Crosby are still out there still available still out there uh but the thing I'm really looking for in this game will in the second half mm-hmm. how much will the Broncos be paying attention to Trey Lance because Trey Lance it makes a lot of sense if the Broncos tried to orchestrate a trade for him. Yeah, it's been some chatter around that. Uh, I know Stoke was, I think, the first one to bring that up. I know Andrew Mason and I talked a little bit about that on Monday, and his eyes kind of lit up like, ooh, I hadn't, I hadn't thought about that one, but sure. You know, third, fourth, fourth round pick for a former number three overall pick, give me a call. You're right. If Trey gets out there, how closely will George Payton and Sean Payton be watching Trey, and how willing would John Lynch be to dance on a guy that he invested highly in, but also a team, the Broncos, he has a long history with, and he's worked with, you know, in a, in a professional capacity in terms of doing deals. And, you know, they, DJ Jones came over, McGlinchey came over, K1 came over. There's certainly a, a synergy between the Niners and the Broncos. I obviously have a little bit more in-depth knowledge and sources in basketball and baseball, but I can tell you there have been situations that I've seen with the Rockies and Nuggets where they went into a game liking a guy and saying, hey, this could be this could be an option. That guy impressed them. They traded for him. Yeah. Thomas Bryant this year was one of those cases where the Nuggets traded for him because of that game the Lakers played in Denver against the Nuggets where Thomas Bryant showed out. So that one if, didn't work out. <laughs> no, it didn't. It didn't. And, and sometimes it doesn't. Yeah. But I'm just saying, if Trey Lance impresses in front of the entire 49er or entire Broncos organization, there's going to be some chatter internally on Sunday and Monday over if they should try to make him. Yeah, there. well, and if he plays well, that price may go up. John may say, okay, give me a second, and that may be too rich for their blood. We'll see. I wouldn't go past a third for Trey Lance, but I am intrigued. I a trade for Trey. A trade for Trey. Um, but my final thought on this is is I miss the days of Peyton Manning throwing 55 touchdown passes because even on the RamosLaw.com text line right now, oh, two touchdowns and a half is a lot. When did Broncos country become scared of expectations and throwing touchdown passes? So I miss those days of 55 in a season. 
Russell Wilson's getting paid $50 million. I think we should raise the bar. We are going to close the show on the other side. We may get into a little of that kicker talk, but I promise we're going to bounce some nuggets off it, too, because we have that schedule, and I've got some observations. Denver Sports Station 104.3 The Fan presents Denver Sports Tonight. He's Jake Shapiro. I'm Will Peterson. Wrapping up on this Friday night, Broncos and Niners will be going at it this time tomorrow night. Excited to check out preseason game number two. Hope it's a little smoother. I uh, did see that the Niners got a new field installed, Jake. So the uh, turf will not be a story like it was in Glendale. Levi Stadium out there, which of course holds some very good memories in Broncos country. Von Miller's amazing night against Cam Newton in Super Bowl 50 will not be a will not be an issue tomorrow night. It looks good out there. I have some bad memories there. At Levi's? Why is that? See Washington 2016 Pac-12 championship game. Steven Montez under center. Sefo Lufau, baby. Sefo, Sefo. That was, uh, it was like 38 to 14 by the end of the game. Man, and that would have been, what, like same calendar year? The Broncos won the Super Bowl. Yeah, that was a couple months before, or yeah, a couple months before, right? No, because they won it. Oh, it was a couple months February after. February of 16. Yeah, 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 so, yeah. Yeah. So, but it was that rise season, and then, uh, I don't know if this has ever been reported. I'm just going to let this out here, out there. Um, if the Buffs had won that game against Washington, they would have gone to the Rose Bowl. And I forget which team needed to lose, but if that team had a loss, they would have been playing in the college football playoff. I do remember that year. Yeah, they they like they got up to like seven in the playoff rankings under Mac, Mike McIntyre. It was it was fascinating to watch. And then the the Pac-12 title game was a dud. You know, the the, the lasting memory I have from being there is. Going, walking back into the CU tunnel, there was a bunch of CU fans, obviously, around their tunnel, and there was just a bunch of smashed-up roses on the tunnel ground. Oof. And, like, that's the memory I have lasting in my mind as I watched Phil Lindsay walk off the field. Yeah, they did not get the final rose that night at Levi Stadium. Ha-ha. Uh, we'll get into the Nuggets here in just a second. Real quick, though, I just want you mentioned Gold and Crosby. Gold, gold, good as gold. Robbie Gold, Mason Crosby. Do you think the Broncos kicker is currently on the roster, yes or no? Or is it TBD, like literally Brett Maher is fighting for his Broncos career tomorrow night in Santa Clara? I think it's all tomorrow night. Yeah. And I think there's better kickers on the market than the ones the Broncos have in-house right now. I'm with you. I think Maher had a really bad night in Arizona. I think he had an eh-type week of practice. I think he needs to go out there and make all his extra points, and he needs to do something like go three for three on field goals. If he misses a single one, I think he's out. I would tend to agree with you on that. I I do want to finish with some nuggets on this Friday night. Um, Jake, you had a story today at denversports.com. I don't know the details on this, but the headline is the Nuggets-Lakers opener is the NBA's most expensive ticket right now. Obviously, there's a caveat there. Fill us in on the details of that, but... Man, we just went through this dance with tickets to the NBA Finals, and now we're doing it for the opener to see the ring ceremony, see the banner go up. So this brand-new NBA in-season tournament that's going to be like a big deal in Vegas, and the dunk contest, $232, $279, the average prices of those. So yeah. around 250 bucks. The average price for Nuggets Lakers, $413. Wow. That's 435% higher average ticket cost than their opener against the Thunder last year. And it's also the most expensive regular season Nuggets game of all time, according to Vivid Seats. The caveat here is I wrote this article, and I'm telling all y'all now if you want to go to this game, 
the single game tickets for the Nuggets actually go on sale tomorrow at noon. Mm. So that price should come down. But as of this writing, this is going to probably, and it really probably will end up being the most expensive Nuggets game of all time by more than two times the cost of the second most expensive game, which was the Warriors game last year in February. Well, you're, let's be clear here. You're talking regular season, not yeah, postseason, yeah. obviously. Uh, because the, the uh, finals games for game five, it ended up being like 14 just get in the door. Like oh, yeah, average. the Lakers games. Yeah, yeah, you're talking, you're talking regular season, but I understand why. It's a special night. They haven't won a title in 47 years, and you get to see a banner raised, you get to see rings passed out, and you get to see it all done in front of LeBron James. I'd want to be in the stands. I think that sounds pretty fun. Who, by the way, they kind of are rivals right now, the Lakers and Nuggets, and there have been, that's the most exciting game probably of the regular season, at least the most talk, talked about going into this off se- or this offseason because of the little feud going on between the Lakers and Nuggets right now. And that is going to be at least something to me that's so exciting. I named it my most important game of the Nuggets regular season. I've got a list of five that I think really stand up on uh, DenverSports.com right now that you can check out. And I told people, if, if you can't afford to go to this Nuggets-Lakers game, there, there's a couple other games that I would check out as well. Okay, I'll encourage people to go check that out. And to be clear here, this most expensive thing is on the secondary market. You are encouraging folks to try their hand tomorrow at noon, see if they can get lucky and pay uh, face value prices. Yeah, which I'm sure is going to not be that cheap. Either way. It's but, not going to be cheap, but I would expect it to be cheaper. Yeah, it's probably going to be cheaper than the amount of money I spent to see uh, Nathaniel Rateliff and Mount Joy at Ball Arena a few months later than that uh, in December. Uh, Nathaniel Rateliff and Mount Joy. Don't know Mount Joy and Rateliff you know, I've heard of, but I couldn't tell you a song. They play an annual uh, Christmas show. You, you know, Oh, uh, wait, isn't he the dude who does the anthem? He does the anthem. He's got the beard. He's friends with Malone. With He's, the night sweats. Yes, he sings a song called SOB. Uh, is his most famous song, and I'm not going to air that. Uh, but he, he's he's a Colorado artist. He's really fantastic. Uh, I've got some friends in that band, and I always try to support them. I ain't hate. I ain't hating on Nathaniel and the Night Sweats. They did a good job with the anthem. But you can see him for free at a Nuggets game. <laughs> One song, the anthem, the most famous song. Is it the most famous song? Probably the most well-known song, right? I think they should replace the anthem with Party in the USA. That's my hottest USA take. I love that song, man. Well, Miley Cyrus. Don't think <sighs> Miley has quite the history of Francis Scott Key. <laughs> did I get that right at least? Yeah, you did. Embarrassing if I didn't. Uh, uh, before we get out of here, with that Nuggets schedule, I've seen I've seen it. It looks like they kind of got a favorable schedule, Jake. They don't have a lot of these three and four nights. Like being champs kind of feels like they got some respect. Them taking the regular season seriously, getting the first seed last year, seems to have paid off. They have the easiest schedule in the NBA, according to a couple websites, strength of schedule indicator. They also have the fewest three games in four nights. So that is something that's favorable. But again, another reason why this Lakers game is going to be so expensive, it's the Lakers' only trip to Denver this year. The Nuggets somehow avoided hitting them four times. They only play the Lakers three times this year. Wow, it's almost hard to believe. All right, it's been fun. Appreciate everyone rolling with us. For KJ, for Jake, I'm Will. It's DST on the fan. We're up all night to get lucky.